Let us pray together. God, I thank you for this morning that we could gather together in your name, to gather as friends and as neighbors and as fellow worshipers of you. Let the story and let these words of mine come from your heart and let them be words that send us out this week with blessing. In all this we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. For the past uh, many weeks, we've been going through a series we've called Unmasked, and we've been looking at the ways in which Jesus becomes recognizable to us or becomes different as we see him unmasked, as we have our preconceptions of who Jesus is um, sort of disabused, and we see the reactions of the people and the stories in the Gospels as they see more and more clearly who Jesus really is, and we see some people react antagonistically, we see some people react with surprise, and we see some people act with realization about who Jesus really is. But I wanted to think a bit this morning now, here is our final episode, if you will, of this series, looking at who Jesus is. And we've finally reached the story of the transfiguration. So I thought we could start by thinking about how we recognize Jesus. So we have the the famous, as I'm sure you recognize, from Superman, look up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Jesus. How do we recognize Jesus? Jesus, what are the characteristics of who Jesus is or what makes Jesus unique? We'll, we'll try this. I know we're, we're all socially awkward after COVID and we all have masks on, but who wants to, to shout out? What do you think of when you think of Jesus? What makes Jesus unique? Who can tell me something? <laughs> shout it out for the class. <laughs> Love. Love, okay. Kind. Kind, yeah. Patient, okay. A lot of qualities here, a lot of good qualities. Anything else about Jesus that, that comes to mind for you? I'm not looking for anything specific, by the way, so you're, not, you're doing very well. Acceptance. What's that? Transformation. Yeah, it's appropriate for this morning. Without sin, okay. So, so at least a few things come to mind, and, and even if, if you're not the kind of person to maybe shout something out, to be honest, if I was in your seat, I might not be shouting something out. But the question for me this morning is, how do we recognize Jesus? Because for us, that's, that's kind of a question, but we have the perspective of history. We can look back on the stories, and we can start at any point we want. We can read the end again. We can read from the beginning. We can do whatever. We've heard the story, probably most of us in this part of the world, we've heard the story over and over and over again. So I want us to keep that question in mind. How do we recognize Jesus? So there are a few things about Jesus up to this point in the story of his life. So we're talking this morning about the transfiguration, which comes, depending on which gospel you are, about midway through, in in some maybe a bit later. But we've gotten to see Jesus do quite a bit already, but we haven't gotten the full story. So for the disciples, especially the twelve, they've not necessarily seen everything. And they have their own expectations about the world and about the Messiah, but also about rabbis, teachers, prophets. 
Jesus was not the first one to come along and do certain things. So up on the screen here next, I've gotten some things that I thought through a bit about what we've seen about Jesus in the story up to this point. So we've had um, some miracles and, and I've had some... Uh, some squiffiness in the in the transfer um, that that that's that happens when you change a lot of formats. So in in the, we've had him do some miracles. So he's healed some people. He's performed a couple of exorcisms, actually, though they weren't called that that at the time. He has actually um, multiplied the food. The, he has fed the five thousand at this point before the story of the transfiguration. So he's done quite a few miracles. But for the disciples, that's, that's impressive. It's, it's really impressive. They've seen them firsthand. But Jesus was not the first one to have performed miracles. In the Old Testament, there are stories of miracles being performed. There are stories of God performing miracles. Um, there are stories through you know, Moses and through the prophets. There are different stories of miracles. There are also other stories of miracle workers or magicians floating around at the time there in the ancient world in the first century. There are stories of, you know, rich people or rulers, Caesars doing miracles. There are stories, again, of magicians going around and performing miracles. Now, those miracles were quite a bit different than what Jesus does, and, and some of the ways that we analyze the storytelling is different. But there were other people doing miracles. So the fact that Jesus does miracles doesn't necessarily mark Jesus out as the Messiah or even God come to earth. There's also the things he said, and this is where I think a lot of what um, what I've heard you say comes out. Things he's, he's spoken with authority. He's spoken with a lot of wisdom. He's talked about love and acceptance and patience and a lot of these qualities that, that we associate with Jesus and especially here, the kind of um, things that we preach about a lot. We've already heard him say a fair whack of a lot of those things. Um, but again, there are philosophers, there were teachers. Jesus was not the first one to necessarily come along and say some of these things, though he did speak with a pretty unique authority. So for them, he's a teacher, he's a healer, he's maybe some kind of prophet, but as of yet, they still have yet to see him do a, a, something that really makes them sure. Now, he's done a lot of things already, but nothing yet that is going to make it click for them. We also have a lot of symbols, and some of these symbols are just for us as readers that we would have known. So his birth, the whole story around his birth, the angels and, and the shepherds and the wise men, but also where he's born in Bethlehem and then having to be taken away to Egypt. And these are symbols and things that we get as the reader and as the writers of the Gospels have reflected on these things. We get to see these symbols come up, but they might not necessarily have been known by everyone. We also have the symbol of the choosing of the 12, the 12 tribes of Israel, and, and these sorts of symbols, and then also the company he keeps. That's what I mean there by company. Why? Um, the company he keeps. He keeps the company of sinners and tax collectors, of poor people and reprobates, and all of these sorts of, of uncouth people. He's not going around hobnobbing with the well-to-do or the, the people who they thought he should be hanging out with, and that's a pretty symbolic action. But again, not necessarily unique. So although, in terms of his miracles, his miracles are of a different quality than other miracles that we've seen. They're, they're, they're bigger, they're grander, they're, they're more assured. He does them with authority rather than channeling something else. Other miracle stories in the ancient world have people calling upon other gods, even stories in the Bible, God is doing the miracle through someone. 
Whereas for Jesus's miracles, Jesus does them himself through his own power and authority, the multiplication of food, feeding everyone. He is the bread of life. We get that in John. So he is different. But as of yet for the 12, it still is plausible that he is just a prophet, a teacher, someone who is definitely different, someone who's definitely a bit new, but they don't quite have the full picture yet. And this is about where we are in the story when we hit this text this morning. So Mary is going to come and read our text for us this morning. Our reading this morning is from Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing by him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Amen. So in this story, we have the three, sometimes they're called the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, who go away with Jesus, separate even from the rest of the twelve. And they get to glimpse something pretty spectacular, which from Luke's narration, they kept to themselves until later. But what happens in the story is, is pretty interesting, and, and there's some... Uh, little bits of debate about what goes on. So they go up on the hill to pray, and we've seen Jesus do this before, where he takes himself away from people to pray. Sometimes he does it on his own. This time he takes the three sort of inner circle disciples with him. But then Jesus is transfigured, is the word we often use. He's transfigured before them, and two figures are standing with him. And now I always wonder how they would have necessarily recognized that it was Moses and Elijah because they don't necessarily have their Facebook profiles to pull up and look at their pictures and go, oh yeah, there's, yeah, that's Moses. Um, but, but they recognize them in, in any case. And I wonder if it's one of those things where you just would have known. But it's also been the symbols of it. 
in the symbols of Moses and Elijah being there because it was prophesied that Moses would return and Elijah would return. But also in the Gospels, we have the idea that John the Baptist is the Elijah who was to come before. And in many ways, especially in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is that return of Moses. And then Peter makes a suggestion, and sometimes you hear this, that Peter is sort of this blumbering fool who kind of interrupts what's going on, and it's because of what he says that the whole thing ends. And I'm not necessarily sure about what happens. Luke kind of says he doesn't know what he's saying. And whether or not that's, look at that idiot, or whether it's he was just flustered and he was trying to help, but he suggests, hey, let's, let's build a tent, let's stay here. Let's, let's, let's eke this out, let's let this last. It also could have been around the time for the Feast of Tabernacles in which you would have built a little tent to, to live in for a, a couple of days as part of the festival. So he's maybe suggesting, hey, let's do this festival thing here. But in any case, right after that, the cloud envelops and we hear the voice. And you'll recognize this voice from when Jesus is baptized. Again, we talked about symbols. Jesus, when he's baptized, there's a voice saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. We get that voice again, the voice from heaven saying, this is my son, listen to him. This becomes different now for the disciples. And it's not long after this, we actually get the confession of Peter when Jesus says, what do people say that I am? And the disciples say, well, some people are saying you're Moses. Some people are saying you're Elijah. Come back, which which is pretty high praise. It's not just, oh, you're just another run-of-the-mill teacher or prophet. They're Moses and Elijah. That's a big deal. And then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, who's one of the three, says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. There's something different that they know after the transfiguration. So what do they discover through this. There's a lot of symbols at play here. Moses and Elijah are two main character sort of people in the Old Testament. They're big players. They represent also two pretty important epochs of history in the history of Israel. Moses, the giving of the law, the coming out of slavery. How often, over and over again, when God is speaking in the Old Testament, you hear, I am the God of your ancestors, the God who brought you out of Egypt. And Moses is there for that. Moses gets the Ten Commandments from the mountain. Moses gives the law to the people. Elijah is the prophet who's there with Israel, and they're, they're separated. He's calling for repentance. He's calling for them to come back. He's also taken up to heaven, and so he, in the story, he doesn't die. He doesn't get buried. Moses also is there in the mountain. He sees it to Canaan, but Moses also is they don't know where he's buried in the Old Testament. That's where, what it says. It says he's maybe taken up or in, in something happens to Moses where he's either buried there by God, but no one knew where he was buried. So we have two characters here who don't have a definite burial place. They don't have a definite who saw them die, and so we thought they might come back. They also represent symbolically the law, like I was talking about with Moses, and all of the prophets Everything about their history, everything about their identity, who they are as people of Israel, as descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is represented there in Moses and Elijah. And there they're talking with Jesus almost as if they're equal. 
or maybe even not equal. There is a, a painting, which is the, the last slide of the Transfiguration that I think is really, really beautiful. It's by a Nigerian artist. A lot of pictures, if you just Google image search the Transfiguration, it's a lot of kind of um, medieval sort of paintings or, or these grand paintings of, you know, nice white Jesus up in the sky or, or whatever, and he, he looks very soothing. I like this also because of the artist's perspective. We're looking at it, not at the scene itself, but Jesus is looking at us, and Moses and Elijah are on either side, but they're standing a bit behind him, as if letting Jesus take the foreground, not just of the painting, but of the story, and then you have Peter and James and John there in the background watching it all happen, small. There's something to the story that gives us a glimpse into who Jesus is. It takes off the mask for a moment. We'll see finally the truth of who Jesus is ultimately in the resurrection. Again, we with the perspective of history can see this and know this and know that the resurrection ultimately shows us who Jesus is. But in this moment for the disciples, this shows them that Jesus is not just another prophet or a teacher, even a special one, even Moses or Elijah returned. But something different is happening. Following this rabbi and this teacher is not taking them where they thought it would. And what's also interesting in the story is what Luke tells us they're talking about. They're talking about his departure that would happen in Jerusalem. They're speaking about his death. So here, even at this point, they know or Jesus knows with Moses and Elijah, the destination. He knows where he's headed. He's headed to Jerusalem and he's headed to execution, to death, and then to resurrection. This story is the turning point. It is the lifting of the mask. And we see Jesus here not just as a person, not just as another prophet, not just as another teacher, but we're beginning to see Jesus as God God's self revealed in human form. They're standing in the foreground with Moses and Elijah, all of the law and the prophets, taking a back seat. It's Jesus, who is now the foreground of all of their history, of all of their culture, of everything that it meant for them to be Jewish and to be human. Jesus is now in the foreground. Is that true for us? How, when we see Jesus, when we think about what marks Jesus out as different, do we have Jesus as he's revealed to be in the foreground? Because Jesus, as God revealed, comes with everything that you guys were saying. Love, patience, kindness. He is all of those things incarnate. And if he is all of those things incarnate, and he is also God incarnate, then that tells us a lot about who God is, about the character of God. This is Jesus unmasked. Let's pray. We thank you, God, that we get to see this story. 
something only three people saw. But it reveals so much about Jesus, and it reveals so much about you. God, we thank you that you still reveal yourself to us, and that even today, we get to see you unmasked. And that through our love for one another, and through our fighting for justice in this world, we see you unmasked again and again. So God, be in our hearts as we continue our worship this morning. And let us be your people, a people of love. And all this we pray in Jesus, in his name. Let us close and say that let us live our lives with Jesus in the foreground, the unmasked Jesus. And as we move into Lent, let Christ guide us and guide you through your week. Go in peace. Christ is with you. Um.